Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, this first story, I lump into the category of life is just too short. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. A woman angry over the taste of her popcorn assaulted a female store employee at Southridge Mall. Police say 1244 p.m. Saturday, January 16th, Greendale police officers responded to Treat Street inside the mall for a report of a physical altercation taking place between an employee and a customer. According to the police report, a customer entered the store and became very loud and boisterous and requested to speak to a manager about poor tasting popcorn. When the female employee told the customer that the manager wasn't available, the woman got more disorderly and started yelling profanities. When the employer asked the woman to leave, the woman charged at the employee who was four months pregnant, pushing her in the upper chest area and face. The customer, who was with a small child, then left the store. The employee told police that her upper chest and mouth were sore, didn't need to go to the hospital. Customers described by police as a black female with medium complexion. Her hair was wrapped in a dark-colored bandana. She's wearing a gray sweatsuit and carrying a red coat. The child was around two years of age. Police searched them all, unable to find the suspect. If the suspect is located, um, the employee would like to pursue charges of batterly and disorderly conduct. Authorities were able to see the suspect on mall surveillance video, and another store customer took a cell phone photo of the woman from behind police don't have active suspects and there's a picture of the, at least the backside of the customer in the uh, in, in the online edition of Jordan Sentinel I mean really okay how, how many times have we all had popcorn or something that you buy at a store that doesn't just taste right so instead of just saying hey this doesn't taste right I'd like my money back or whatever <laughs> you, you show up at the store you've got a two-year-old in tow and you get so out of control that you end up attacking the woman behind the counter you know the, the clerk who's probably making minimum wage or a little bit more I mean really life life is just too darn short to beat up people, you know, because the popcorn doesn't taste good. Isn't it? Isn't it? Really? Um, And the answer would be yes. All right. Here is the story that we start the program off with. When cars assume ethnic identities, if I am the car manufacturer, I tell the complaining people, sorry, can't help you. Here is the deal. If you haven't heard this story, Uh, Jeep, the automobile manufacturer, um, Jeep first introduced the Jeep Cherokee vehicle sometime in the 1970s. And uh, Jeep has had, I, I have this in front of me, that Jeep over the years has um, had, had all sorts of different things. The, the Cher- It actually, you know, it, it started in the 60s as the Jeep Wagoneer, and then the Jeep Cherokee was introduced, and then it, these were like essentially different versions of SUVs, and there's been at least four or five generations of the Jeep Cherokee, and they came out with it again in the 70s. Back in 2002, 
at least in North America, Jeeps stopped selling the, the Cherokee and they, they transferred the Jeep Cherokee into the Jeep Liberty, but it was really the same car. And then in about 2011, they, they brought back the Jeep Cherokee. I think they dropped the Liberty and then they started calling it the Cherokee, Cherokee again. And so for most of the last 45 plus years or so, the, you know, Jeep has sold the, the Jeep Cherokee. The Jeep Cherokee represents about a third of the sales of of Jeep, you know, so it's it's a popular brand. It is well known. It is associated with Jeep, right? Why are we talking about? Oh, and by the way, moving forward, Jeep intends to. Apparently, they've got a couple of different new Jeep Cherokee models that they intend to to roll out over the next couple of years. You know, another new generation. Why? Why do we bring this up? Because yesterday or the day before last, after more than 45 years and just ahead of a new release, that the new models of the Jeep Cherokee, the Cherokee Nation is asking Jeep to drop the name of its top-selling Cherokee and Grand Cherokee vehicles. Um, the Cherokee Nation principal chief says in a statement, I think we're in a day and age in this country where it's time for both corporations and team sports to retire the use of Native American names, images, and mascots from their products, team jerseys, and sports in general. Now, by the way, the Cherokee name is not accompanied by you know any sort of Native American imagery in in the various advertising. So it's not like you know the Cleveland Indians, for example, that would use the the, the exaggerated face of of, uh, of a Native American, a caricature. They don't do that. I mean, it's just it's the Cherokee name. Jeep, for its point says, our vehicle names have been carefully chosen and nurtured over the years to honor and celebrate Native American people for their nobility, prowess, and pride. We are more, we are more than ever committed to a respectful and open dialogue with them. Um, we want to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody, but, and this is when they brought it back in 2013, they said, we haven't gotten any input saying it, that anybody thinks it's disparaging. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the, the name Cherokee is not copyrighted. They do not pay the Cherokee Nation for the right to use the name. So from a perspective of legal standing, trying to force Jeep to abandon this name, there is, in my opinion, no no way. There, there's They have no legal leg to stand on. So now they're trying to bring public pressure, saying, hey, after 45 years, we have decided that Jeep should abandon this name. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this offensive? Should Jeep cave in? What do they do? My answer would be, I'd continue to roll out the Cherokees. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, if you're just tuning in, Jeep, the, the automobile manufacturer, has manufactured the Jeep Cherokee or the Grand Cherokee Almost consistently since 1970, like four or 1975, there was a break in 2002 when they 
called the Cherokee the, the Liberty. They brought it back in like 2011, and they're just getting ready to roll out like the next generation of Jeep Cherokees. It is a well-known brand name. It does. It is not accompanied by any sort of like um, imagery that, that would link it to Native American tribes. Never been a problem before, but now the Cherokee Nation is saying, we want you to stop using the name 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And unlike... Well, unlike brands, for example, like like Aunt Jemima, we've talked about that before. At least with, with Aunt Jemima, there was there was a caricature that at least at one point in time in history was associated with that brand. That's not the case with Jeep Cherokee. So, should Jeep Cherokee give in? Should they bail? It's not a copyrightable name. So there, there's no legal, at least to my understanding, there's no legal claim that the Cherokee Nation should bring. Is this, is it offensive to the general public? Should Jeep cave in? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620. Go to a couple texts before we get to the calls. Jeff, um, I think Jeep should hold its ground. Jeff, I think it's great advice that they should not give in. Jeff, I'm curious as to why you, as a white man, get to tell people of color, in this case Native Americans, what they should or should not be upset about. Can't wait to hear your answer. My answer is anybody can be upset about anything, but that doesn't mean that you have to give in and concede to that. I People can be upset. Look, you, you have this happen all the time. There are people who wake up on a daily basis that are upset about something, that are looking for that chip to be knocked off their shoulder. So I'm not telling people they can't be upset about it. I'm just suggesting that at some point in time, you know, is objectively speaking, is the name Cherokee offensive? Is it demeaning to the, the Cherokee? And I guess that's what the underlying issue would be. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, as an indigenous person, I think it's disrespectful for non-indigenous folks to give opinions on the topics. Well, again, I just... I, I think Maguanago gets the right to call themselves the Indians if they choose to do that. The question is, is it objectively, objectively unreasonable and offensive? And really, 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, does the Cherokee Nation operate a casino, as in a Cherokee Nation casino? I do not know. Um Jeff, um, I trust you understand what empathy means. Become a charity Cherokee for one day and then make the statement you just made. Jeep should continue to roll out the Cherokee automobiles all day. Okay, it's not a question of empathy. It's a question of is something offensive? And somebody says, well, I believe this is cultural appropriation. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet and Mortgage Talk and text line. Um, Jeff, although I agree with you, on another note, I think this celebrates Native Americans. It's not like Jeep has politicized its brand or done anything to disown this. Jeff, it's too late now. Jeep has been using the Cherokee name for many, many years, and now all of a sudden it becomes uh, offensive. Jeff, I think at some point in time, corporations have to stand up against the cancel culture. Well, look, again, the the question becomes, you know, what objectively is offensive? Jeff, will we have to start renaming cities like Whitewater, Menominee, Green Bay, all because they were named by Native Americans? Well, I think, you know, that's an issue that you have to deal with. I mean, at what point in time 
do we say, okay, we've got to give in? All right, let's talk to Sherry in Sheboygan. Sherry, you're on WTMJ. Hi there, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I am Native American myself. I am not Cherokee, but I am Native American, and I am kind of saddened that we are losing all the ties to the um, great aspects of the Native American tribes. If these were used in a derogatory way, I think that's different. But these are prideful, they're strengths, they're, they're great things. So. I almost hate to lose that. Well, yeah, I guess, see, and that, that's the thing. I mean, that's why I, I spent some time this morning trying to look at, like, advertising over the past to determine if there had ever been, like, Native American imagery that was associated with the Jeep Cherokee that, that reasonable people could find to be offensive. And, and as, well, as far as I can figure, I mean, it, it's the name that they've used, not anything else. So there hasn't been the caricatures of Native Americans and that sort of stuff. It, it's just the name. And the name hasn't been offensive to people for decades why is it suddenly offensive now i guess yeah I, I think people are just jumping on that train and i think it's it's sad because i think you do have to look at every single case separately and i you know i didn't like it when marquette warriors had to change their name right. because that to me is also a, a, a sense of pride right. and strength and determination but when i think the only ones that i've seen lately that I would agree with changing is the Redskins, because right. that to me is a derogatory term. Yeah, no, thanks for call, Sherry. I mean, right, and I, I can see, and I've, I've always said, I, I understand, I, I understand the, the complaint about Redskins, which you could certainly say is a derogatory term, as opposed to the phrase, you know, um, Indians, for example. But in your case, I mean, you're calling from Sheboygan. Okay, so what, what, what do we do? Can we not have the name Sheboygan? And does Maguana go go? I mean, where do we draw the line? Jeff, I don't understand why the term is offensive. Um, I look at the Army. They have Black Hawk, Apache, and Comanche helicopters. I would think this is a sign of power and pride. Um, Jeff, seems like the people that were over the years trying to get rid of the Washington Redskins, I guess they need something to do now, and they're going after the Jeep Cherokee. Um, Jeff, are we? where does the personal attack stop? Are we supposed to change street names, cities, schools, everything? You see, I guess here's the, the fundamental thing when I saw this story. If in all the years, now I've never owned a, a I've never owned a Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee, or otherwise. But in in all the years that I, I've seen that advertisements and I've been aware of the brand, it, it's never never associated. I've never made a derogatory association with that. Just just never. And again, I understand the Redskins argument. I understand the argument against Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's and those sort of things. But but Cherokee has never been marketed in that particular fashion um let's see jeff i think um people should be more upset when people claim that they have uh, native american background when they're not come on this is um ridiculous jeff jeep is profiting off the name that's the difference all right so then that raises the question again the cherokee nation is not paid for the use of this name if jeep were to offer them money for this would it then not be offensive? Would, would it be all right? Or is the term Cherokee just so inherently uh, offensive that, um, that that you can't use it at all? I mean, I just throw that out. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, um, with respect to Indian tribe names, where do you draw the line about being offensive? Um, Grafton has a huge neighborhood with street names like Cherokee, Cheyenne, Blackfoot, Navajo, and Arapaho. Well, yeah. I mean, do can, can we not have those names on streets? Where do you, in fact, draw the line? And I understand a municipal street name is different than a, a marketing name, but it's been in effect for 45 years. Now, that in and of itself doesn't justify it. I mean, we, we have terms that were used in the 50s that you do not use anymore because we've determined that they are uh, offensive as, as things have moved on. But is the name, in this case, the name of the tribe, is that so inherently offensive? All right, let's talk to Mariah in Milwaukee. Good afternoon. Hi, um, I sent in a text message and only part of that text message was read. Um, and I specifically said that people shouldn't give their opinions if they're not educated on the topic, which I think is the most important piece. Um, there's a large difference between people naming street names after the original people of the land and people naming objects after native people. I'm personally not Cherokee, um, so I can't speak on this topic specifically, but to give a little perspective, um, there's like a silverware company that they named themselves Oneida and I'm Oneida and so for me when I first saw that I was excited and thinking that it was representation and that it was um, a native owned company and I was excited to support them but knowing that they weren't a native owned company kind of gave me a bit of disappointment. Do you find the term to Cherokee to be offensive? I'm not Cherokee, so it's not really up to me to give my opinion, although I do think that if there are Cherokee folks who do find it offensive for people to name objects after that, then we should listen to them. Well, who who gets to make that decision? I mean, I would assume that the, the, the Cherokee people is, is a very diverse people, and I'm sure that maybe some people find it to be offensive and some people don't. So who gets to make that decision? Do we, if if 10% of a, a particular group would be find it offensive, do we listen to that 10%? How do we decide? I think it's really up to the members of that tribal nation to make that decision. Um, I can't personally speak on the best way for somebody to make a decision like that. I just don't think that it should really be left up to the general public because the general public doesn't necessarily have an understanding of like the oppression that Native people face just for being Cherokee. Uh, well, but but that's so but I think there's a large difference. There. But but no, but but Mariah, thanks for coming. So I'm kind of up against the clock. But I guess my my response to that would be that this that using the term as they have been for the last 45 years is not in a derogatory fashion. I don't think there's any reasonable person at all that would think, oh, we're we're oppressing the Cherokee Nation because Jeep is selling the Jeep Cherokee or the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Matter of fact, they're they're using the name as they're trying to inspire people to want to buy the car. It's not a derogatory fashion. And I would challenge anybody to say, oh, I saw a Jeep Cherokee or a Grand Cherokee driving down the street, and I, I'm just, boy, we're making fun of, of Native Americans. I just guess I don't see it that way. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, are our friends, senior realtors, Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. They are experts in senior real estate. Bruce's team is there from start to finish, selling, downsizing, and so much more. Check them out at the website, brucesteam.com. All right. Anthony Fauci has emerged as 
sort of a lightning rod when it comes to the whole COVID discussions. Um, I, it, here's a guy who is clearly the, the, the leader in, in, in anticipating and dealing with infectious diseases. And um, at the same time, and he, he's been sort of the, the face of, of, of COVID at the same, and I mean that in a good way, in the same time, he, he's also been somebody who has over time, given very inconsistent advice. Now, I, it's not like I think he's trying to give inconsistent advice. As I said yesterday, he has that the science changes over time, and so he, that what what you believe happens will change over time. The problem with I think Anthony Fauci is he he enjoys the media attention. And he will do lots and lots of interviews. And in the course of these interviews, he will say things that are internally in, uh, contradictory. Or he'll, he'll say one thing one week, and then he'll say something next the next week, and then he'll go back to the first thing two weeks later. And you get this inconsistent message, which I, I think is sort of frustrating for people who recognize that COVID is a big deal. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As vaccines become more available, how long will you be willing to essentially forego normalcy? And and, and by that, I mean um, Joe Biden and and Anthony Fauci are both out there saying that, okay, well, we we think that um, we're not going to have normalcy until until maybe the early part of next year, meaning essentially another year. Uh, Dr. Fauci was giving interviews just in the last couple days saying that even if you have been vaccinated, even if you've gotten both vaccinations, um, he, he does not believe necessarily that it's that you, you should still be associating with other people, whether, you know, and there's a point where he declined to recommend whether vaccinated grandparents are safe to see their unvaccinated grandchildren as of yet. Further went on to say that even though he's been vaccinated, he doesn't feel comfortable dining out at at restaurants, um, even after people have been vaccinated. Now, there's an interesting piece in the New York Times today by one of their columnists who says the COVID emergency must end. We might be able to obtain normalcy by summer. Our leaders should embrace the possibility. Here's the way it starts. Christmas of 2021, according to both President Biden and Dr. Anthony Fauci, together the two most prominent voices on public health in America right now, that's when we can hope for a return to normalcy, the beginning of life after the emergency. Even that not exactly optimistic prediction comes with hedges and caveats. Next Christmas won't necessarily be the end of pandemic restrictions, according to Biden. Just a time when significantly fewer people have to socially distance, have to wear a mask. Likewise, Fauci has described his hope as a degree of normality by the end of 2021, with the possibility of widespread masking persisting into the following year. I'm not vested with Biden's authority or Fauci's expertise, but I can read trend lines and vaccine studies and right now see both their takes look way too pessimistic. A major setback is always possible, but right now the conditions for the end of the emergency seem likely to arrive sometime in the summer, not at Christmas time. Those conditions don't require the coronavirus to disappear entirely. They just require its dangers to diminish to the point where the reasons for suspending ordinary life no longer obtain and the emergency measures taken against COVID-19 no longer justify their cost. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, we want everybody to get vaccinated. I, I think that that's, that's a goal. 
My concern is by telling people, even if you've been vaccinated, even if you've done this, we still don't think you should be able to return to to normal. It's still going to be another nine or ten months. What you do is you discourage people from wanting to go to get the the vaccinations. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you suffering from COVID fatigue? And after you after you get your vaccinations, once once your number comes up, do you intend to start, I don't know, living life in a more normal sort of fashion? Now, they're still going to have mask rules in place and things like that. And as I've argued, I think people are going to voluntarily, at least maybe one out of four, one out of five, will voluntarily be wearing masks moving forward. But But once you get vaccinated... And once the people around you get vaccinated, are, are you still going to say, okay, I, I'm going to just wait for another year before I start going back and resuming my life? 855-616-1620. I, I think that's a, I think that's a tough ask, especially as more and more people start to get vaccinated. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we take some calls, let's go to some of the texts. Jeff, I'm in the next vaccination group. I will continue to wear a mask until everyone in the state has had the opportunity to get a vaccine. But I will start eating out and hoping for in-person Bruce Brewer games once I am vaccinated. Right, and that, see, that's... If you want people to get vaccinated, and, and look, and I, I understand if if the beef against Donald Trump was at the beginning of this, he failed to show empathy and failed to appreciate the significance of it. Maybe we're now at this other point where we're, we're downplaying the, the, the bad stuff. I mean, I, I was talking yesterday, the, the, the big hospital they set up at State Fair. All right. There, there hasn't been a patient in there since Christmas Eve. And then there was only one. So, I mean, th- that tells me that we're we're making progress. With regard to this, now I'm not saying you you bail on the measures, but at some point in time, can you tell people that even after you've been vaccinated, and even after your friends have been vaccinated, you, you still can't see your grandkids, or you still shouldn't go out to restaurants? That that's that's a big ask, and it also then says, okay, well, if my life isn't going to change, why do I get vaccinated in the first place? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. My husband and I just got our second vaccine this morning. In two weeks, we will be having a date night at our favorite restaurant. It's been a year enough is enough we're over 65 time is ticking yes we will wear a mask jeff the cdc is also recommending that even while people are getting vaccinated and even when we get to herd immunity level they will still want us to wear masks and social distance so what's the use with the vaccine if you have to do all that stuff still um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the whole question. Jeff, with the exception of not attending concerts or sporting events, I've been living normally since last May. I'm not waiting around for some government bureaucrat to give me the all clear. Well, I, I mean, I do think that there there's a balancing. But as more and more people get vaccinated, how do you tell those people, hey, OK, you've been vaccinated and your friends have been vaccinated, but but don't socialize with them. That what what is the end game there? What is the light at the end of the tunnel? Let's start with Rhoda in Greenfield. Rhoda, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thank Hi. you. Um, you know, I haven't gone anywhere for almost a year now, and I'm fine with it. I'm going to be seventy this year, and I've learned to appreciate life and all that I have. But I'll tell you, after a year, I'm not willing to give up yet. 
Um, the vaccine is great. And like I said, it will not necessarily keep you from infecting others or getting the virus because you can still get it. You can still be contagious, but it will make your symptoms less. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the thought of going to the hospital and having a tube shoved down my throat isn't something I want. I am willing to, to go the long haul whenever they say coast is clear then I'll celebrate, but until then, no. I think. What, what, what does that mean? With what is in your mind, Rhoda? What does it mean when you say coast is clear? Because I, I, I think most well, experts say that we're not going to get rid of COVID nineteen. It, it is going to be with us yeah. for years and years. So, is is this forever that you're not going to do this? No. By the coast is clear, I mean when the people around me are vaccinated. Perhaps we'll get together outside. Keep our distance and keep wearing our masks. I still don't do that now. Um, I'm just not willing to take that risk because we don't know enough about this disease. I think 2021 is going to be similar to 2020, and perhaps it's going to go on for many years because there are so many variants, and they really don't know yet how the vaccine will deal with the variants. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. So I'm I'm not paraphrasing. Rhoda says, look, at 2021, we think it's going to be like 2020, and it might go on for years are you willing to live like this and see this i just don't think people will at some point in time i I think you know this was all in the beginning about flattening the curve we don't want to overwhelm the hospital system i I mean i i gotta believe that covid19 it's not going to go away it's going to be with us for probably forever and just like you can get the flu and i understand covid's not the flu i I get that but 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 it's going to be with us forever so at some point in time do we just simply say okay this is the new normal we're we're not going to feel comfortable dining in restaurants we're not going to go back to bars we're not going to feel comfortable going to baseball games or football games we're not going to be comfortable going on cruises i mean is is that the new normal now for me i just don't think that's acceptable i don't think people are willing to live their lives lives in that fashion. And and what we've been told is, hey, you get yourself vaccinated, you are in fact protected. And I I think at some point in time, and I think it's going to be relatively soon, once more and more people get that vaccine, they're going to go out and they're going to start living their lives. Now, they might still wear masks and they might do the appropriate social distancing and things like that. But this idea that you've been vaccinated, don't go into a restaurant, I, I just don't see people doing that. Um, at least I don't see most people doing that. Tom in Sheboygan. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Great show. Thank you, sir. Um, I guess I got my first dose of Moderna, and I'm scheduled to get another dose in, I think, three weeks. Yeah, that's it. Moderna, is, Moderna is the four-week one. Pfizer is the three-week one, right? You, you, you're going back. It's four weeks after you got the first shot, right? Right. I got yeah. it about a week ago. Got it. Um, so, um, and as far as I'm concerned... I think I'm going to go back to living my life the way I did. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a, maybe a few precautions if possible. But I think what Dr. Fauci is trying to do is protect the people that either by choice or time have not gotten vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that after a certain amount of time, when everybody's had a chance to be vaccinated, I think the people that have decided they're anti-vaxxers are on their own. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the arguments I had with uh, anti-vaxxer was when you're vaccinated, you can still carry the virus, if I understand it correctly. 
They think they don't know for sure, but but yeah, let, assuming that okay. for the sake of argument, but they don't know that for sure. But yeah, let's assume that for the sake of argument. Sure. Sure. So now what's going to happen is there's weddings are going to start popping up because everybody rescheduled, right? So now, say you got a, a wedding of a hundred people, seventy percent are vaccinated, thirty percent are not. That that virus could potentially target those thirty percent mm-hmm. because there could be people there that aren't showing symptoms. Because they've been vaccinated and they're carrying it. And I think what Dr. Fauci is trying to do is is make sure as many people as are gonna get vaccinated are gonna be vaccinated. Right. And I don't think he's I don't think he's saying the vaccinated people um are the problem. It's the people that for some reason are not getting vaccinated. Right. And I guess so, yeah, and Tom and, right. And, and but I, I agree with what you were saying earlier. At, at some point in time, I think people are gonna start living their lives, especially since we don't again, we don't know how this is transmitted. I mean if somebody if somebody's had COVID and then's had the vaccine, is there any real likelihood that they're going to be able to transmit it again? And and it, and I think you're right as well. It, it at some point in time, you know, once once more and more people get vaccinated, if people make the decision that, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do this, there is sort of like a, like a buyer beware kind of thing that, that, that's out there. And that's why there, there may in fact, again, be, be spikes of COVID. Now, hopefully we're not going to get to a point where we're seeing the massive hospitalizations and things like that. And if you look at all the trend numbers, that appears to be the case. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. God love Rhoda for being okay with not doing normal activity, but it's totally unrealistic to believe that everybody is like that. Jeff, I'm a healthy 40-year-old. I've already had COVID last spring. I will not be getting a vaccine that no one knows the long-term effect of. It appalls me that some places are talking about mandatory vaccination cards to fly or go to conventions. How do we mandate that? Um, Let's see. Um, Jeff, really not much change in behavior in northern Wisconsin. I don't plan on getting vaccinated until I'm forced. Though my 57-year-old healthy friend who works at home got vaccinated through her pharmaceutical company employer. Um, Jeff, everyone... um, Let's see. Everyone has lost their minds. Get over it. Live your life. Everybody dies sometime. Well, <clears throat> I understand everybody dies sometime, but but you, you don't want to you want to be smart about this. And, and that's why I, I think. But at the same time, to get people to participate, you, you've got to offer them a, a carrot. You, you have to say, look, I mean, get vaccinated. You, if you do this. And then you're hanging around other people who are vaccinated. Your your chances of of spreading the disease it's not. I mean, I guess what, what's the the, the the vaccinations are what ninety five ninety six percent effective. So you could still be in that three or four percent. I mean, you can you could still always get it. But this idea that we're telling people, all right, you're not going to be able to live your life for a year or two or three years. I, I just think that that's overly pessimistic and i also think it's it's unrealistic to expect people to um you know to, to follow that um jeff the wild card in this is we really no idea of how many people have had it i mean, half the people could have we could have herd immunity already you know there was a piece in the wall street journal that i, I sent out on twitter the other day from a from um a, a doctor at johns hopkins who made the point that he believes now, this isn't what you're hearing from Dr. Fauci, and it's not what you're hearing from President Biden, but he believes, and a lot of people around him believe, that that actually we're, we're going to be closer to herd immunity by the spring, by the time you factor in the people who are getting vaccines, the people who have natural immunity, the people who've had it, who have immunity. 
Put all those three things together, and you're, you're much closer to the herd immunity than we think. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's next spring, but I, I do know that just to tell people, well, you get vaccinated, and it, it's really not going to be any better. You, you still can't go hug your grandkids, or you still, you know, can't socialize with with friends. That's not a very positive message to send out. And I think in some cases it might be gloom and doom. Jeff, I'm 22, had COVID in June and recently had a second COVID scare just two weeks ago. My roommate caught it. I certainly should have gotten it again, but I did not. I think that's body, my body telling me I still have active antibodies. I'm ready to get back to normal. Um, yeah, well, that's, I mean, you can go have that test and it can tell you whether you, you have antibodies or not. I know several people who had COVID last fall who went, got the antibody test. It shows that they still have it, but nevertheless, the advice is still get the vaccinations and they're eligible. So they're still getting the vaccinations, but I will tell you, it, it's a tough sell to tell people that, you know, once you've had the vaccinations, and if you've had COVID on top of that, it's a tough sell to tell people, all right, look, we, we don't want you to live your life. And again, I'm not saying don't maintain social distancing or if the rules say wear masks. OK, I got it. You, you wear masks. You do what you know that you're, you're told to do in that regard. But if we think that we can just get people to agree that you're we're, we're just going to hibernate, we're going to have, in the words of the one caller, 2021, like 2020 and maybe for years more. I just I just don't think people will put up with that. And if the overall mission has been to flatten the curve, we, we, we need to keep that in mind. And I think we've moved away from the flatten the curve to, well, we, we don't want people to resume normal lives until we've eliminated COVID. And we're not going to eliminate COVID, I don't think. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. <clears throat> Welcome back to the show. I, um, yeah. Travis Shaw, back with the Brewers. I, you know, for, for years and years, on opening day, we would be in the dugout and we would do interviews down down in the dugout with, with the players. And so that, that was really the only time I got to interact with the players that, that one time. And and but you, you got to, to meet a lot of them. And I, I used to enjoy it. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm on vacation opening day this year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm not gonna be in the dugout. I don't know if we're even gonna be in the dugout because of all the, the COVID stuff. I mean I don't know what the plans are gonna be. But I, I used to really enjoy the opportunity to chat with some of the players and I, I'm Glad they're bringing Travis Shaw back simply because he was really a nice guy. I remember interviewing him a couple opening days in a row, and he was just a really nice guy. Now, the problem was, you know, two years ago, he, he just he completely lost his ability to play baseball. And it, 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 I mean, it, it kind of happens. I mean, he just he had an absolutely terrible, terrible season, and the Brewers didn't want to pay him the money that he was entitled to if he had stayed with them. And so, you know, he, he ended up going somewhere else. So I really hope he's going to have a bounce-back year because he was just he was a good guy, and I enjoy talking to him. Gru, you know who else was really a, a good guy to talk to who I really enjoy talking to? Bob Euchre? Oh, well, Euchre all the time. Yeah, Euchre all the time. But uh, Josh Hader. I mean, I, I remember interviewing him a couple years in a row right when he first started. And he was – now, of course, I'm old enough to be his father. But, you know, it was <laughs> – but I'm not. But I'm old enough to be his father. And and we just we just had a great conversation. And he was nice. – sometimes you get the impression that some of these athletes are just – 
just kind of jerks. And and th- that's not the case with the Brewers. At least it wasn't the and certainly wasn't the case with Josh Hader. He was just he was nice. He was respectful. I just I I, I enjoy talking to him. I I will I will say this too. And I mean every year the team is a little bit different. But I do think one of the things that the Brewers have been very good about is that they've tried to stay away from players who are jerks. I mean, I think they've had a, a real good clubhouse camaraderie. And again, just my, my impression, just talking to some of these guys, they, they, they were all just kind of glad to be there and glad to be making a living doing this. And I, I didn't get the sense that people were like self-entitled. I, I just, it, it, it was a good atmosphere. And I'm hoping that they can recreate that as well. And I'm certainly hoping that Travis Shaw has a big comeback year because he's just, he's just a good guy. So I'm looking at the weather report. I mean, it's 49 degrees here at our studios. My timing is once again off because I'm taking a couple days off and going to chase the sunshine. I, I should have been, if I was going to Florida, I should have been going two weeks ago when it was like zero degrees and instead of when it's 50 degrees. But um, my, my one of my friends, Joan, was saying, well, you're, you're taking off when you're coming back. I will be back Tuesday. So just taking a couple days to go like um, see a little bit of the sunshine and things like that. But um, I'll be back Tuesday. Scott Warris will be filling in for me. Okay. The big news yesterday, no surprise, I don't think, was that the United States Supreme Court refused to block a subpoena that was issued by the New York District Attorney's Office seeking Trump financial records. And um, the, new, the Supreme Court said, nope, um, the, the grand jury has a right to these records, and so we're going to order them disclosed. And it's not just former President Trump's records, but it's also the records that the accounting firms have that that they, um, for example, when, if you have an accountant, do your, your taxes. I mean, I, I do now. Thank you, Laura. And, and what I do is I, I bundle up all my records and I send them off to her. And I, I put a cover sheet saying, okay, this is this is what I've, I've totaled and stuff. And, and here's the underlying documentation. So the subpoena is going to a number of accounting firms asking for not just the, the tax return information, but also the underlying documents that, that support the, the tax return information. So it is incredibly broad. The uh, It's obtained through a grand jury subpoena. Grand juries are supposed to be secret. I think one of the things will be what what is the over under before somebody an investigator, grand juror, somebody with the DA's office, or somebody somewhere along the line, what's the over-under on how many days before somebody leaks all this information to the Washington Post or the New York Times? And and, and my guess is, even though that's illegal and will be a crime, my guess it's going to happen probably sooner rather than later. Once this stuff gets released, it, it's going to, I, I think, somebody will violate the law and will release it. The New York Times, back in September, they, they got a hold of a lot of tax return information information. They ran a huge 24-page story uh, about this. But in any event, the the Trump tax returns are going to be going to the grand jury for their review. And then the question becomes, are there going to be charges issued? The president, former president, is already out saying this is just a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in American political history. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right. Do you buy that? Is this is this nothing but a fishing expedition, a, a witch hunt directed at Donald Trump? Or 
as long as the district attorney's got the grand jury, should the district attorney have a right to look at this information to determine whether or not Donald Trump, before he was president, actually committed a crime. And what they're evaluating, at least from my understanding, is they're, they're looking at a couple things. They're looking at, did he commit bank fraud and insurance fraud by inflating the value of properties and assets in order to get loans? You know, like when you, you, you take out a, you take out a home equity loan or you take out a mortgage loan, they ask you for, you know, what's your collateral going to be? I mean, what's what are the properties that you have and what are the values of the properties to support th- those loans? And so that's something that the banks look at. So they're evaluating, did he commit bank fraud? Did he commit insurance fraud? Did he overstate the value of assets in order to get loans? Then they're also, I think, looking at like the tax return saying, okay, if, if he claimed if he claimed his income or his properties were worth this much on his efforts to try to get new loans, all right, what, what did he say about the same properties on, on the tax returns? Did he did he lowball the value of them? Now, I don't know what the truth of any of this is, and anytime you're talking about somebody that's got all these real estate dealings and stuff, incredibly complex, and you'll need to figure it out, but 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this, in your opinion, a witch hunt? Is this just picking on President Trump or... Is it legitimate to at least get the records, see where this goes? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this is, as a former prosecutor, I have no problem with getting with getting the records. If it's a good-faith investigation to determine whether or not somebody, anybody, committed fraud, that's fair game. If these records subsequently get leaked to the press, like I believe they will, I think that's a big deal as well, and I think that there should be... You know, people, you know, if anybody leaks this, they should be prepared to be prepared to be prosecuted because you're not that is against the law to do it. Whether or not there's ultimately a basis to charge President Trump with a crime that I take no position on. 855-616-1620. Is this a witch hunt? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, if there's a problem with his taxes, shouldn't the IRS have caught it? God knows they caught me for a minor accident mistake I made, and I pay dearly for it. What does that say about the agency's competency? Okay, let me be real clear here. My, my understanding is that the, the New York, this is the state of New York, the grand jury, they are not investigating Donald Trump for tax fraud or the corporations for tax fraud. That would be in the jurisdiction of the federal government. My understanding is they're invest, the investigation is for insurance fraud or bank fraud did the value of assets that you know when when you apply for loans and stuff you you list your financial assets that's a basis for it did he lie overstate the value of his assets at least that's what i think they're looking at and one of the ways you would do that is you compare okay let's look at the tax returns this is what he says he made this is how much he says these things are worth on the tax returns and then you look at the applications for mortgage for for loans for example and you see if they match and if they don't match the question is okay did you overstate the value on the loans? Did you understate them on the taxes? I believe that's what they're they're looking at. 855-616-1620. If Trump is so confident he committed no crimes, he should have just released the tax return like every other president in modern history. You should know people who are honest and open have nothing to hide. Um, well, I mean, the law... 
the law doesn't require people who run for office to disclose their, their taxes. Now, in the, in the case of President Trump, I, I don't know if it was so much fraud. I, I think it's that taxes are extremely complicated. My guess is he paid little in personal federal income tax because he had losses um, from, from years past and that it was more of a situation of optics as opposed to fraud. But again, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the tax returns, and so I, I don't know exactly what's there. I, I do think, I guess, the grand jury, witch hunt or not, the grand jury has a right to look at these these records, and I think there's clearly a complex financial situation when it comes to Donald Trump. I, again, I will say this. If these grand jury records get leaked and they end up in the New York Times or the Washington Post in a couple of days, like my guess is they will after they're turned over, I think heads need to roll and people need to be prosecuted because you know, grand jury stuff is supposed to be secret and tax returns as a general rule are in fact, you know, secret. There, when, when I was a federal prosecutor, I can't tell you the hoops that you had to jump through to get access to people's tax returns. I mean, it wasn't, you, you could subpoena people's bank records by just issuing a grand jury subpoena. Tax returns were completely different. And my argument would be, you know, my guess is you, even if you've got nothing to hide, you, you don't want your tax returns being disclosed. I mean, I don't think anybody wants their tax returns being disclosed, and the law, at least right now, doesn't require that. Um, let's see. Don't be a fool. Nobody will be prosecuted. Nobody will be convicted. Okay, Jeff, it's a witch hunt. Lenders have their own experts that protect them against overvaluation. They are not complaining. Asset values on income tax returns do not affect taxes paid. However, if he understated them for real estate purposes, that, in fact, could be an issue. Um, okay, Jeff, typical Donald. Didn't win. It's rigged. Have a question he doesn't want to answer. It's a witch hunt. Welcome back, Citizen Trump, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it's a witch hunt. Trump's tax returns will be very complex due to how many companies he owns or partially owns. A personal financial statement gives a snapshot on his estimates of assets and liability unless he withheld List debt, it's a non-issue. The left wants to see his total income and foreign interests, which is why, again, it'll be very, very, I'll be very, very curious to see if these documents end up getting leaked. Because, again, if you're the Manhattan District Attorney, I can see how you can craft an argument saying, hey, we need to see these records. But the question becomes, is it legitimately for an investigation or is this something that's designed, well, we're going to do this investigation, but if we can figure out a way to get all this confidential stuff public, here, this is a way that we can embarrass Donald Trump because maybe we'll show that he's not as much of a great businessman as he thought, or maybe we can show that he's in all sorts of financial trouble, etc., etc. Jeff, he is a lying crook. His past has showed that. They should investigate him for fraud. Um Let's see. Jeff, as an ex-prosecutor, you're speaking very naively think that he was not disclosing his tax returns just because of optics. If you don't want your taxes being disclosed, stay out of the public eye. Well, all I can say is that the law doesn't require people who run for public office, including people who run for president, to disclose their tax returns. And so I don't know that somebody, just because somebody decides they don't want to do it, it doesn't mean they're hiding something. I don't want to disclose my tax returns. My guess is you wouldn't want to disclose your tax returns. 
the law does not require that. Now, admittedly, most candidates end up doing it because it, it puts to rest the arguments about what are you hiding, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't think that just because you don't want them disclosed to the general public, that uh, that automatically means that you have to be a crook. Jeff, I see that unity and coming together so we can heal as a country really only applies to everyone else, but not Mr. Trump. I understand that a routine review is allowed, but this certainly appears to be more of a witch hunt than just a routine review. Jeff, I don't think it's a witch hunt. President Trump has already shown over the last several years how untruthful and unethical he is as a leader. It's not that far of a jump to think he did the same with his business and his taxes. Jeff, I think it's a witch hunt. We've never had a businessman president before. He probably paid zero taxes, and that's why he's so secret of them. Look at Amazon last year. They paid zero income tax. They have better accountants than the U.S. Treasury, and they find every loophole. It's just business 101. Um, Jeff, stop picking on Donald Trump. Uh, Stop picking on Donald Trump is like the kid you picked on in third grade, and you can't stop. You tell me when you go for a loan, do you want to give them the appraised value or do you want to give them the assessed value? You tell me how many people give them the appraised value. The higher value gets you a better net worth. Well, I don't know. When I, when I apply for loans, I try to be truthful and I answer the question as to, you know, if they ask me what the assessed value is, I give them the assessed value. If they ask me what the appraised value is, I, I think my advice to most people would be, well, you, you want to be truthful and you want to answer the questions. I don't know that that's picking on Donald Trump. I don't know that the DA is picking on Donald Trump. I, I do know that this is an ongoing investigation, and I will be troubled when and if these confidential records end up being made public because grand jury investigations are, in fact, supposed to be secret. Where it goes, who knows? Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The largest vaccine rollout of our time is underway as we aim to put the COVID-19 pandemic in our collective rearview mirror. Join John McCure this Thursday at 4 o'clock for a special WTMJ roundtable, Facts Facts. He'll be joined by Dr. John Raymond of the Medical College of Wisconsin to help answer your questions about the vaccine. Want to hear your question on the air? Give us a call, 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock this Thursday for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Fax, sponsored by Dave Drakamp Heating. That's a mouthful. About half half a minute, right, Gru? There, there. Thirty-five, thirty-two well. seconds. Uh, well, it's just I was just saying the, these these things we're supposed to read keep getting longer and longer and denser and denser. But tune in Thursday. It's going to be your show too, right, it Melissa? Is. Absolutely. Until six mm-hmm. Thursday, and you can get your call in. It, it's actually Vax Facts got all these questions because it, it is interesting because you get all this. There's all this emerging and sometimes contradictory information that comes out. And I think some of the stuff is people just don't know the answer. I and mean, I think sometimes it can be the simplest thing, but um, things can be misconstrued on social media. It's well, just making sure people are getting the correct information. Well, well right. And and where th- this stands. I mean, there, there's questions now about there's some studies that are out there that suggest that if you've had COVID and you get the first dose of the vaccine, that you might really not need the second vote mm-hmm. dose of the vaccine. You know, is, is that case? 
case. If you get both doses of the vaccine, you know, what what does that mean is can, can you go hug your grandkids? You know, those sort of things. Right. And like you said, with the phone number, I encourage people to call in because you can get your your question answered right on the air with Dr. Raymond. It's going to be a great two hours of really pertinent information. And you're going to get uh, get it heard from a top notch professional in the field. Right. And that number again to leave your question. It's not our regular call in number. It's 414-203-8105. All right. That's four o'clock this Thursday. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, the NASDAQ, which is the, the tech-heavy portion of the stock market, it's down now 207 points today. The, the, the good news about that is when it opened up, it was down like 440 points. What, what's going on, it's not like there's anything big going on in the financial markets, but it's the Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, was testifying, and the concern was that he was going to announce an interest rate um, hike and, and that's kind of got the markets freaked, and he, he sort of backed off that a little bit. So, but they're down; it's down two hundred, and that's not great. But that, that's actually it's awful. But it's better than being down four hundred and forty points. Okay, I want to I want to bootstrap on something we talked about in that first half hour, the, uh, the the first half hour, and that is you know President Trump's tax returns and and underlying financial records. So it's not just the tax returns, but it's all the underlying documents that, for example, you send to your accountant. They are now going to be turned over to a grand jury, which I believe means that they will probably illegally be leaked to the the press and, and the public. But it, one of the conversations that we were were having was with regard to people who who just think that that if you run for office, automatically your your tax return you should be required to release your tax returns. Now, um, people who run for president typically do. Donald Trump is the exception. I think he's the only president since, you have to go back to Nixon, um, bef- because most of the times they voluntarily make their, their tax returns public, the candidates do, so people can get an idea of how much money they have and where the money comes from, and you can be aware of conflict of interest and things like that. Some senators do. Some congressmen and women do. Many don't. Um, some governors do. Um, many governors don't. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's, let's try to put Donald Trump out of the equation for a minute and, and talk about this at, as a concept. I mean, moving forward, do you believe that people who run for public office should be required to disclose their tax returns? And if so, where do you draw that line? Yeah, anybody who runs for president, when you declare for president, you, you should you should have to disclose your tax returns. Um, if you run for U.S. Senate, should you be required under the law to disclose your tax returns? If you run for Congress, should you be required to disclose your tax returns? If you run for governor, how about state senate? How about state assembly? How about mayor? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the law require people, if they are seeking public office, to disclose their tax returns? Now, in Wisconsin, 
you don't have to disclose your tax returns, but certain information that you put on your state tax return is in fact is in fact public. You know, like the amount of taxes that that you pay. That's you know that 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 is a public record, regardless of your political figure or not. But but where do we draw the line? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now feel free to disagree with me, but I don't think that candidates should be required by law to disclose their tax returns. And I would say that about a president, a senator, a congressman, a governor, a state senator, a state assemblyman. I, I think if that is clearly an issue, if somebody chooses not to, uh, and, and the other side wants to make an issue of that, I think they have every right to do it, and the general public can decide whether or not you want to hold that against the candidate. But to simply require people to disclose what I think is an incredibly personal and private thing, I think that will chill people from wanting to run for office, maybe not at the presidential level, but certainly at lower offices. Secondly, I don't think it's necessarily anybody's business. If, if, there is evidence to believe that you've committed tax fraud or something. Well, oh, okay, that that's the subject for appropriate federal and state regulators. But no, I don't think people should be required to disclose their tax returns as a condition of running for public office. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I want to take this out of, I, I understand with, with Donald Trump, it, it just... The fact that it's Donald Trump generates huge feelings. Oh, he's a crook. You know, he's got to be hiding something or it's a witch hunt. No, I mean, I, I want to talk about this in general terms. Moving forward, do we need to change the law to require candidates to disclose their tax returns? And at, at where do we make that cutoff? I mean, do you, if you say it's got to be the president, do you say it's got to be somebody who runs for governor? Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Jeff, every public servant should have to have their tax records be public. There should be complete transparency, though, so there's no conflict of interest. Huh. Well, I assume that texture means anybody that they think works for the government should have to disclose their taxes. Teachers? Um, you know, bureaucrats working in some office in, in Madison. I, I don't, I just don't go that far. I, I think that if there's evidence to believe that somebody's committing fraud, well, okay, that, that's for the appropriate measures, but I don't think you give up that privacy. Jeff, what's next? Require people to share their internet search history? It's none of the public's business what tax deductions people claim or what their income is. Uh, let's see, Jeff, a presidential candidate is running for the most powerful position in the world. We need to know all about them. Okay. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I do think it should be. And I guess I was telling your screener, I, I would probably have to, you know, draw the line at like school board officials, but anything from mayor to councilman up, meaning state senators, uh, U.S. Senators, uh, state congressmen, U.S. congressmen, all the way up to president, I do believe, and specifically for the reason of potential conflict of interest. Um, well, you know, in most cases, th- there are financial disclosures that you have to fill out. For example, senators and congressmen and the president, they have to fill out financial disclosure forms indicating, you know, what what companies you have interest in and things like that. Of course, that's different than, than seeing the actual tax return that, that gives you, you know, the, the specific breakdown. Are the financial disclosure forms not good enough? Well, that would be, but do all... 
states and municipalities require that? Yeah, I don't that know. Was a requirement. I guess I could I could go with that, but I don't know if that is a requirement in all uh, government positions. Yeah, officials. yeah, no, thanks, and I, and I don't either. I mean, I know. I mean, for example, it, there if I I know for senators, congressmen, and the president, of course, there are financial disclosure forms that you you have to file that that don't don't break down that, that list that list assets and, and what the source of your assets are and loans and stuff it, it it doesn't break down all your sources of of income for example and it doesn't show how much you paid in tax in a given year and what deductions you took I, I, I do think you have to be careful about this you know tax returns I, I think are, are very very private and if you draw if you require this maybe it's not going to discourage people from running for president because maybe it's the idea that, okay, well, I, my life is an open book if I'm going to run for president. But I do think, especially as you go further and further down the line, you want to talk about discouraging candidates. And, uh, okay, somebody thinking about running for assembly. Okay, I, I want to run for state assembly. And it's a job that pays fifty grand a year, and, but I, I want to contribute. I want to make a difference. But, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to have to show my tax returns with all this stuff, and it's going to make it public. I think it discourages. I think it would discourage people, right or left, from, from wanting to run and again this isn't it's not a question of, of transparency it's a question of how much does the public have a have a right to know and, and at what point does something become you know relevant or irrelevant i mean if you're a state assembly person you know does it really matter you know whether your wife who's the teacher you know what her income was and what your income was and what deductions you took i mean what what is the overall relevance of that now obviously if there's something funny about what you're doing and maybe criminal about what you're doing. Well, that, that's a whole different story, and that's where authorities get in. Uh, Jeff, do I think it should be required? No. Would it be nice? Um, yes. Jeff, I believe all persons running for public office should release their tax returns. If you are to be trusted to serve the constituents in your community, you should be above reproach and be a trustworthy individual. Okay, but let, let's be honest about this. I mean, the, disclosing your tax returns for for most people, it's not going to be a question of trust. It's not going to be a question of you know con, your, the constituents or the opposition looking at it to determine whether you're a trustworthy individual. For a lot of people, it's just going to be nosy. Hey, did you realize that this? Okay, that this Jeff Wagner guy wants to run for an a state assembly. No, I don't want to run for state assembly. But look, look this this is this is what his income was from WTMJ. Oh, now we know how much money they paid him. It, that, let, let's face it. That that's what the the big factor um, is. Jeff, I think candidates for running for president should be required to release their um, tax returns. Jeff, state employees and public school teacher salary are published. Right, you, you can find that out. I want to see the 1099s and W-2s to see who's funding candidates so that I can understand conflicts of interest. Jeff, how many people who think the tax return should be made public are willing to share their tax returns with their employer. Jeff, so you, somebody needs to disclose their tax returns to be trusted? For the love of God, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, Jeff, there are so many cases of stolen identities nowadays, I'm sure criminals would love it if tax returns were made public. Jeff, just put yourself in the shoes of the public person running for office. Would you want everyone access to your records? No, I I, I flat out, I, I wouldn't because it's, I feel it's nobody's business. Now, again, if if there's something funny going on on my tax returns and the appropriate authorities want to go after it, that's a different story. I, I But I think sometimes when we think about this, 
you, you've got to try to take the Donald Trump factor out of the equation because I, I understand he's he's a different breed of cat. And at the same time, I also understand that most people who make the decision to run, for example, for president, they, you know, look, they, they, they disclose their tax returns because they don't want their they don't want to be under a cloud of suspicion like Trump was under for four or five years. But to say to school board candidates or assembly candidates or state Senate candidates, you've got, or judicial candidates that you have to do more than just simply fill out an ethics form, you're going to discourage a lot of good people, I think, for running for office. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wow. Um, breaking news. Tiger Woods, arguably the most famous golfer, certainly of, um, his generation, perhaps several generations, Tiger Woods hospitalized in serious condition after being involved in a single car accident in Los Angeles this morning. Um, Tiger Woods, who's been he's he underwent back surgery and he's he's been injured. They were um, talking about he I was watching an interview with him over the weekend. He was the host for. Uh, a tournament that was in, they, they call it the Genesis. It used to be called the LA Open. It's played at Riviera Country Club and it was played over the last weekend. He, he was the host. Um, so he wasn't a participant because of his injury, but he was the guy that presented the trophy and stuff. So he's in Los Angeles. Here is the statement from the um, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. On February 23rd at approximately 7.12 a.m., Los Angeles time, California time, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department responded to a single vehicle rollover traffic collision on the border of Rolling Hills Estates and Rancho Palos Verdes. The vehicle was traveling northbound on Hawthorne Boulevard at Black Horse Road when it crashed. The vehicle sustained major damage. I'm looking at the picture of the, I'm looking at the picture of the SUV and it's, um, it's it's really smashed. The driver and sole occupant was identified as PGA golfer Eldrick Tiger Woods. Mr. Woods was extricated from the wreck with the jaws of life by Los Angeles County firefighters and paramedics. He was then transported to a local hospital by ambulance for his injuries. The traffic investigation is being conducted by investigators from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Now, the the prelim- this was seven. 12 this morning, the preliminary statement, and again, this is, the preliminary statement says that they don't believe alcohol was involved. So I, um, there's a story that's been updated with remarks from Tiger Woods agent, Mark Steinberg, who says, Tiger Woods was in a single car accident this morning in California where he suffered multiple leg injuries. He is currently in surgery and we thank you for your privacy and support. Um, wow. Well, now this, of course, is the, the second time that Tiger Woods has been involved in, in an automobile crash. The, the first time that kind of set him, set his career back a lot was when he was involved in a, a crash leaving his, his home in, in Florida a number of years ago. Uh, but this, and I'm looking at the pictures, and this is all we know right now. I'm looking at the, um, pictures of, of the car, and it, it was a, it was a, it was a rollover, and um, huh, I mean, the car is really kind of messed up. There's no question about it. Anytime you hear people saying that they have to bring out the jaws of life to extricate somebody, you you know it's it's serious. But the report are 
This morning, Tiger Woods involved in a one-car rollover accident in Los Angeles, um, extricated by the jaws of life, according to his agent. He's transported to the hospital where he has sustained injuries to his legs, leg or legs, and is now in surgery. We will bring you more details as we get them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Every 15 minutes, a baby is born with a congenital heart defect. All this month, please join our very own Greg Matzik as he teams up with the Children's Heart Foundation to help advance the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of congenital heart defects. To find out how you can help, go to WTMJ.com or text the word CARES to the Accunate Mortgage Talk text line at 855-616-1620. WTMJ Care is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc., um, I'm the, the Tiger Woods action. If you're just tuning in, that's that's the breaking story. Um, Seven twelve Los Angeles time, nine twelve our time. Tiger Woods, the very famous golfer, um, was injured in a serious car crash near Los Angeles. Um, I, I'm there's I'm looking at helicopter photo photos of of footage from the, the car. He it doesn't it, the weather's not bad out there today he was out there for like a golf tournament last weekend it doesn't appear to be a particularly windy sort of road or anything can't exactly tell you know what ended up happening but his car went off the road flipped over and if you look at the pictures of the car it's it's cry- i mean it, it rolled over he had to be freed by the, for they brought in the jaws of life he was freed by that and then um transported to the hospital according to the statement from his agent um he suffered multiple leg injuries currently in surgery um the vehicle according to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, sustained major damage, which is an understatement looking at this. And again, they don't know anything more about this, don't know if it's speed, don't know exactly what what happened. But um, Tiger Woods, of course, one of the most successful golfers of all time, and he's been fighting a variety of different injuries over the course of the last couple of years, and he was optimistic that he'd be recovered enough to play in the Masters this spring. Um, again, everybody's thoughts and prayers are with Tiger Woods and his family. He's under certain surgery now, but uh, if you look at the picture of that automobile, it, uh, it it clearly was really, really wrecked. This was a serious, and it was a one-car accident. He was alone in the car, and it was a one-car collision, so there wasn't anybody else involved with this. Everybody is hoping for the best for Tiger Woods. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, I want to give you an opportunity to play Supreme Court Justice. We, we, when this show started, when I started the show on TMJ 20-plus years ago, every once in a while we take court cases that I found to be interesting, and, and I give you the facts, and, and we discuss, and kind of got away from that. But there, there's tomorrow... In front of the United States Supreme Court, there's a real, I think it is a fascinating case about how far police can go in searching your house or entering your house without a warrant. And I want to spend a segment talking about it with you. And I'll I'll tell you where I come down, but I'm not predicting where the Supreme Court's going to come down. And I want to know your your opinion on this as well. It, It comes out of California. There's a guy named Arthur Lang. And he's driving his car, and he attracts the attention of a state patrol guy because he's playing music really loud, and he's honking his horn as he's coming down the street. 
Okay, so and and so the the patrol guy, the patrol officer, um, sees this and sees that it's it's you know, gosh, what's this guy doing? He, he's driving down the street, he's honking his horn, and he's um, like playing music really loud. So the officer thinks he's drunk, and he starts to follow him. So he, he doesn't doesn't start to, doesn't try to pull him over, but he starts following him about a hundred feet from. Lang's driveway. So he's almost home. So he's about 100 feet from his driveway. The officer puts on the bubble lights to pull him over. Lang says he didn't see the bubble lights. So he drives into his driveway. He goes and pulls the car into the garage. Meanwhile, the the police officer is following, pulls the car into the garage and hits the garage door opener. So the garage door is now closing. So the police officer is outside in the driveway. The garage door is going down. The officer gets out of his car, runs up to the garage, and sticks his foot into, you know, into where the door is coming down. You know, it's got one of those trip lights, you know, that happens if you, you know, if you, if you, you know, then the garage door goes back up. You know, you, you break the little sensor and the garage door goes back up. And then the police officer enters the garage and it turns out that Lang has three times the the blood alcohol level and they charge him with drunk driving. The the defendant, Lang, says, wait a minute, you know, you you didn't have the right to break the trip light, come into the garage and, and arrest me without a warrant. Well the state of California says, well it, this was this was a hot pursuit. You know, the officer thought he might be involved in in drunk driving, and if he got into the house, once he got into the house, by the time they got the warrant, um, Lang could claim, hey, I wasn't drinking while I was driving. I started drinking after I got to the house. So they they said, well, we we have this exigent circumstance, this emergency, and it was kind of hot pursuit. Now, this is a misdemeanor, and in many jurisdictions, I mean, hot pursuit is you watch somebody rob a bank and they try to flee from you and you see them run into a house. Well, you, you, you can go in. It's a felony. But this this was a misdemeanor. Drunk driving is a misdemeanor. In Wisconsin, drunk first time offense drunk driving isn't even a crime. So the question becomes, how how far does that go? If you thought it was. I, I don't know, jaywalking or littering, does that give the officer the right to chase you into your house and go into the house without a warrant? Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Courts all over the country are split on this, and tomorrow the Supreme Court of the United States is going to hear arguments on this. But But here's my question. In your opinion, did the police officer go too far, didn't have a warrant, knew he didn't have a warrant, knew that if he didn't, rush into that garage and stop the garage door from closing, he would have probably lost any chance he would have had to nail the guy for drunk driving. Should he have been allowed to do that, or should he have had to get a warrant? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is one of these things where my libertarian instincts kind of clash with my former federal prosecutor instincts. But in this particular case... I have to tell you, I, I think the Supreme Court's going to have a lot of trouble with this because the, the man was in his house. He was being chased, but it was only for a misdemeanor. And candidly, I think the police officer should have had to get a warrant. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
in your opinion, did the police officer go too far? It's not like he had evidence that the guy who was potentially drunk was was fleeing for, from him. He he didn't put on the bubble lights till about a hundred feet f- away from the house, and then the officer wasn't close enough to get there before the guy got into the garage. Should he've had to get a warrant? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The Supreme Court will decide. But if you were on the court, what do you think? We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so this is what the Supreme Court's going to be deciding this case, uh, where they're going to be hearing the arguments tomorrow. And actually, there, there's a huge split in courts. I, I, I don't know how they're going to go down. Uh, Jeff, the officer should have gotten a warrant. Uh, the man was in his house. He wasn't posing a danger any longer. He wasn't a murderer, or a sex trafficker, or a drug dealer, or something for which they could destroy evidence. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Jeff. Just like that, I had a former friend, farmer friend, years ago, who had an officer following him onto his property when he was driving, um, a quad runner. He told the officer he was not allowed on the property without the warrant, and the officer left. I think the officer here was not right. Jeff, something similar happened to me 30 years ago when I was young and stupid. I was drunk driving, but the police said he couldn't arrest me because I made it home. He couldn't make an arrest on private property. Jeff. Uh, the cops had the bubble lights on before the guy got to the driveway. I don't believe the guy didn't see him. Uh, the police consider it fleeing if you don't pull over. But but even e- even if it's fleeing, that would still probably be a misdemeanor, which under normal circumstances, you know, would, would that does that give you the right to, you know, go in? You know the guy's in the home. If you think that he's fled the officer, well, then, okay, you, you think he's fled. The garage door comes down. Well, then you call other officers. You set up around the house, and you wait till you get the warrant. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the guy is home. Let it go. Jeff, absolutely not. I believe the officer needs to get a warrant. Jeff, he says he didn't see the lights. Come on, give me a break. Jeff, if the guy had, a, had crashed into an innocent person, then what? Well, if he crashed into an innocent person, he, he would be prosecuted for drunk driving and causing serious bodily injury to someone. Okay, I'm curious to where you come down. Let's go to, let's start with Steve in Plymouth. Steve, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Steve here. And, and my thoughts on the uh, on the matter... I, I don't think the officer was right to uh, to put his foot in the door and, and, and stop the garage door from closing. I think that at most what he should have been doing was going to the front door, knocking on the door, see if the guy would have answered. Had he come to the door there, would the officer then be able to tell if maybe he was drunk? That might be a different question. Right. But, uh, I don't think he was right to do what he did. Okay, good enough. To th- thanks to call. Now, and, and again, the concerns, and here, here's the issues with, with something like drunk driving. Once he gets home, it's going to take you a while to get a warrant. So it's entirely possible if, if his, let's say he was just a little bit over the limit. Well, he gets home. He sees the officer outside. They ring the doorbell. He doesn't come to the doorbell. I mean, it's going to take you an hour or two to get the, the search warrant, probably. Um, maybe a little bit less. But, you know, in that period of time, the guy could either sober up or he could say, hey, I was nervous. I started drinking when I got home. You, you can't prove that I was drinking while I'm driving. Uh, Jeff, so here's a text. If we as a society say the police officer had no right to enter the 
property, then any drunk driver should try to get home no matter what um, if he'll get in the door because by the time the police come back, they can claim they did not hear and now they're sober. I think this is a bad idea. Well, that's one of the risks you run. Okay, let's talk to Steve in Oconomowoc. Steve, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Steve. I'm a little concerned. Now, maybe it's a good thing I'm retired, but I tend to disagree. I was a state trooper for a number of years, and I think the officer just was doing good police work. He turned the lights on. He had suspicion of operating while intoxicated prior to his getting into the house. He turns the lights on. The guy pulls into the driveway. The officer is directly behind him. Most people know that if you break that beam of the light, the door goes back up. So that's what the officer did. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a different story if you got into the house, locked the door. I, I don't think you can kick the door down. I would have a different opinion if that was the case. But I think it's just good police work. You got the door back open, got the guy right by his car, and what? said, okay, we're going to have to do some field tests here and find out what the situation is. Steve, I guess, I guess I'm curious. If you get in that house, you're going to have a hard time oh, absolutely. moving drunk drivers. Right, absolutely. But I, I guess I, I'm curious as to your distinction. What, in your mind, from a legal perspective, what do you think is the difference between the garage door? I mean, he's in the garage door. He's closing it. What's the difference between him sticking his foot in and then coming onto the guy's premises versus, I don't know, if he was going through the front door and he's shutting the door, do you think the officer would have the right to stick his foot in the door and stop him from shutting it? I guess I'm. What, what do you think is I, the distinction? Or is there a distinction? I, I don't think if, if you could get to the front door before he closes it and you stop it by putting your foot in there, I think it's the same as if you were in the garage, my personal opinion. Huh, interesting. And I think it's exigent circumstances because he's, and again, first offense in Wisconsin is not a crime, but right. unless you run his driver's license, you're not going to know if you're dealing with somebody who might be third, fourth, fifth offense. And then, right. you know, until you know what you got, you don't. Right. In essence, don't know what you got. No, right. Okay. So you've got to determine that. And I hang my hat on exiting circumstances. Again, maybe. Maybe it's a good thing. Well, no, I, I mean, and I, and I, who, I, I can't tell you because this is one, like I say, th- this is one that kind of cuts across lines because, you know, there's a libertarian argument to this saying, hey, they shouldn't be able to come on versus the law and order type of stuff. I, I, I think it, that's the reason I'm talking about it. I think it's going to be fascinating. I really can't predict how the, the court's going to decide. Thanks, God, and I appreciate your perspective on this. I guess I'm, I'm not sure intellectually I see a distinction between what the officer did with with uh, again sticking his, his foot in the garage to block that light that tripwire so it goes back up or essentially kicking in the door you know if instead he'd gone in the front door and he's in he's home he's starting to shut the door would the officer have a right to stick his foot in the door and, and then go on in w- without the warrant um let's talk to uh let's see we've got uh, John in Kenosha John you're on WTMJ good afternoon yeah, good afternoon. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. What do you think? How should the court decide this? Yeah, yeah. basically, I was in law enforcement for uh, quite a few years, too, and retired after t- over 26. I, I agree. I mean, I think it just comes down to accident circumstances and even being a former prosecutor. I think if you are in pursuit, hot pursuit, however you want to uh, say it, and then you continue into that and breach into that, whether it's the house or the garage, I think it's a lawful uh, arrest. I mean, and partly because... Um, being drunk or under the influence of drugs and or alcohol. I mean, a lot of times people don't 
you know, see the police or the, the lights, sirens. I mean, that happened to me countless of times. Right. So now, I, if now, yeah. now, if John, if it was if it was a felony, I think everybody would agree. You know, if they were chasing the guy for bank robbery or assault or something like that, that that exigent circumstances stuff would come in. I think what makes this the issue is is it wasn't a felony. It w- it was a misdemeanor. Um, now, admittedly, that this is drunk driving, which is different and more dangerous than um, like jaywalking. If it was jaywalking that they were trying to pull him over for, would, would you say the same, or, it, or should the, mis- the type of misdemeanor it is matter? Yeah, I think I think as soon as you say a crime, whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony, I think that's the threshold. I think most officers use if it's uh, ordinance citation, a traffic ticket. Then, yeah, I think I think you could make that argument. Mm-hmm. But you also got to realize too that at that point we don't know. We're only assuming that the person might be drunk right. or under influence. Perhaps right. he's got a felony warrant. Perhaps he just killed someone or was in an accident. So I mean, we can't. You know, that's all hindsight. But you got to kind of go on the uh, intuition of that. We got to mm-hmm. take care of the situation and be on. Um, yeah. You know, complete that stop. Yeah. So well, it, it, but yeah, if, it, if it's a citation or something, you're right. I think then your discretion has to be okay. I guess if you want to say they won, you know, for that time, <laughs> you get them next you time. Know what I mean? Yeah, no, so, you get them next time. Get them next time. No, yeah, thanks for calling. I, I actually, if I were to predict how, and again, I, I always say this: if you if you try to guess how courts are going to decide cases, you you will you will quickly go bankrupt. If I had to predict. I think what they might do is draw a distinction between different kinds of misdemeanors, kind of like we were talking about with John. And that is, it's, and, and kind of look at it as a, on a case by case basis. If, cause typically you, you need a warrant to enter somebody's house. And I mean, this argument, you, you heard a couple of our law enforcement, retired law enforcement officers saying, so, well, it's exigent circumstances. You, you've got to get the person before they destroy evidence or whatever. I, I think if, I think the court might say, well, you've got to look at what the misdemeanor is. Clearly, felonies, I think they would have a right to do it. What is the misdemeanor? Is it is it littering? Is it, I don't know, d- disorderly conduct in a nonviolent sense? You know, the guy was sitting in his driveway honking the horn or something like that versus drunk driving. I, I think they might draw a distinction saying not all misdemeanors are alike because I, I, not all misdemeanors are, in fact, alike. And I wouldn't be surprised if it gets uh, handed down by that. But in any event, if you're a news junkie and you, you, you're you watching something tomorrow, the Supreme Court's going to be hearing this argument. And, again, it, it kind of cuts across political lines and conservative and liberal and turn them loose versus lock them up because it raises some of these other interesting issues that are there. And I don't know exactly sure how they're going to decide. I wouldn't be surprised if they split the baby and say, well, you, you, you have under for some misdemeanors, you could go and do this for others. You can't. All right. Back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what's coming up on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Stick around.